So, as I was saying earlier, we've been speaking about or talking about on Sunday mornings the spiritual birthmarks of a Christian. And one of the spiritual birthmarks that we see clearly given to us in the book of First John is that we have been given a no-so salvation. We can know that we know that we know that we've been saved. As a matter of fact, John wrote in the fifth chapter of 1 John, I have written these things to you that you may know. That word know means certainty, assurance. Reminds me of that great hymn that we sing. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Wow, praise the Lord for that, right? That we can have the assurance that we do know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, I don't usually do this on Sunday morning, uh, but I want to start this morning by polling the congregation. I'm going to do a little survey, and I'm fearful of doing this sometimes because I fear as though I'm going to be the only person in the boat when I ask the question. But the question I want you to ask, or I want to I ask of you this morning is this. How many of you that are present today struggle with sin on a regular basis? Well, all right, wow, I feel a lot better about myself. You know, there's always this sense of fear. I'm going to be standing up front, and I'm going to be like this, and everybody else is going to be like, Preacher, what's wrong with you? Why are you struggling with sin in your life? But isn't that so true? Just because we get saved, it doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle with sin in our lives. It's like I tell my children all the time, being a Christian doesn't mean that you are perfect. Being a Christian means that you are forgiven. And we all stand in need of God's forgiveness. And when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it doesn't mean all of a sudden we become perfect and we never fall short of what God desires us to be. And I don't know about you, I am so very grateful for that in my own life. Because I realize as I examine my own heart, my own life, I understand there are many times that I come up short in my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you raised your hand this morning and you put yourself in the boat with me today, I want you to know something. We are not the only ones. Did you know the Word of God is full of godly men and women who failed the Lord on more than one occasion. Abraham did. On two different occasions, Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife. I would encourage you men not to do that. All right? He failed to trust, to believe that God would take care of him in the midst of dire circumstances. I think about the life of David. Here's a man after God's own heart who committed adultery and murdered a man. Or at least we know he had him murdered. And then what about in the New Testament? What about Peter? A great man of God wrote two books of the Bible, First and Second Peter, that we know of. And in spite of all of that, he denied Jesus Christ three times. On the night that Jesus Christ was in the garden praying and was arrested, what do we find all of the disciples doing? We find them fleeing for their lives, forsaking Jesus Christ. And then, of course, there is the apostle Paul. I don't know about you, but I consider maybe Paul to be the greatest Christian who ever lived. 
But when we read Romans the seventh chapter, it is easy for us to realize that Paul was a man who struggled with sin in his life. As a matter of fact, in that chapter, he says, I do not do, I do not do the things that I want to do. And what Paul is talking about is this old nature that wars with this new nature after we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There's this constant day in and day out struggle with sin. The Bible even says a failure to do what we know that we should do is sin. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you always do what you should do? Men, don't make me ask your wife. All right? Because I can promise you this morning they will be glad to testify that us men fail to do what we should always do. Even that which is not done in faith according to the Word of God is sin, isn't it? Do we always react and respond based on faith in our daily life with the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, if you're listening to me this morning, you may be saying to yourself, well, preacher, pastor, you're painting a pretty dim picture of our lives. But the truth of the matter is this, just because we get saved doesn't mean that we will not struggle with sin throughout our lives. There is this constant battle, this constant war between the old and the new nature that is within us that is going to battle for control. Reminds me of the story that I heard about a man who went to visit his friend one day, and when he got there, this man had two dogs. They were big, healthy dogs. One was a black dog and one was a white dog, and the two dogs were fighting one another. The man looked at his friend, and he asked him the question, which one of, that, of those two dogs wins most of the time? And the man responded in this way, the one that I feed the most. You see, that's true of our lives. Which nature will win in us is the one that we choose to feed the most. If we choose to feed the old nature, if we choose to focus on the things of the world, if we choose to inundate our life with the things of the world, I promise you today as followers of Jesus Christ, more than not, the old nature will win over the new nature every single time. That's reality. We must understand that this morning. So as I was sharing earlier, we've started this series that we're referring to as the spiritual birthmarks of the uh, Christian. That first spiritual birthmark of a Christian is the believer has a no-so salvation. John said, I have written these things that you may know. The second birthmark we looked at last Sunday morning, and it is this, the believer has a deep love for the Lord and for God's people. John makes it very clear in the book of 1 John, it is utterly impossible to say that I love God, I love Him deeply, I love Him passionately, and not love God's church, the people. It's impossible. Listen to what John says in 1 John, the fifth chapter, in the first verse. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Did you hear what he said there at the very end? Whoever says they love the Father, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. 
in the world in which we live in where we're diminishing the role and the significance of God's church, I want to tell you something today. Never does God's, uh, God's word diminish the role of God's church in the hearts and the lives of believers. You need to hear what I'm going to say to you this morning as your pastor. You will never, ever be all that God desires you to be apart from a body of believers. God's intention was for us to never live the Christian life alone. When no man is an island unto himself, the Bible very clearly teaches us that we need one another. We have been called to share life together. That's the truth of God's word. It is only as we share life together that we can grow into the people that God desires us to be. And the reason that is true is I need you, you need me, because we sharpen one another, we encourage one another, we walk with one another, we bear one another's burdens, we love one another, we serve one another. Isn't that so true? You and I need God's church. That's the truth of the matter. So the second spiritual birthmark is this. A believer will have a deep, passionate love for God and for God's people. The two are utterly inseparable. You can't separate them. I know that most of you, or some of you at least, have read a good portion of the New Testament. And I know that we have to move on. I'm chasing a rabbit this morning. But I think it is so significant to understand the importance of the role of God's church in the life of the believer. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, it says that Christ died for the church. It says Christ refers to the church as his body and his bride. There is no such animal in the New Testament as a Christian that is not participating in a local body of believers. Now listen to me very carefully. That's not your pastor's opinion. That is God's opinion. Your opinion and my opinion really doesn't matter. What matters most is what God says in his word. And God has very clearly told us that the New Testament church, the body of believers, is important. This morning, I want us to look at a third spiritual birthmark of a believer. This is it. The third spiritual birthmark of a believer is the believer does not practice sin. The believer does not practice sin. Sin. Now, when you hear that, you may be saying to yourself, oh, Brother Jeff, what do you mean by that? Well, I think John answers that question for us in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at. If you have your Bibles, I would ask that you open them to 1 John, the third chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 9 in just a moment. But as you're turning your Bibles there, I think it's important for us to understand the book of 1 John. I don't know about you, but in my time that I've read the book of John, especially early on in my walk with the Lord, Jesus Christ, when I came to this book, I always was confused. It's one of those books that seems as though John is contradicting himself at times. 
When you look in the first chapter, John very clearly says there in the first chapter of the book of 1 John that the person who says they are without sin is a liar. Then he goes on just two verses later and he says, the person who does not keep the commandments does not know Jesus Christ. And what I want to say to John is, John, it seems like you're contradicting yourself. You're saying one thing on one hand and another thing on the other hand. So where does the truth lie? What does John mean when he comes to this passage of Scripture and with this book and he says we should not practice sin as a believer? Well, I think the key to understanding this passage of Scripture is found in one word. It appears three times in this passage of Scripture, and it is the word keep. The word keep. Actually, it is a nautical term that refers to keeping the stars. It was a reference to how sailors navigated years ago in the dark. The way and the manner in which they navigated was by following the stars. That's how they moved the ship from one point to another. It doesn't mean that the ship always followed a perfectly straight line. There were times when the ship would veer off course. And when keeping the stars, what the sailor or the navigator would do when he realized the ship was off course, what he would do is he would look to the stars and when he looked to the stars, he would write his course he would realign himself. In this passage of Scripture, when John says no one who abides in Jesus Christ keeps on sinning, he doesn't mean that the Christian will not get off course from time to time. But what he does mean is they will not practice sin in their life. What he is saying is this, it will not be the direction of a believer's life. That's what John is saying. So I want us to read here in verses 4 through 9. Let's listen to what it is that John is going to say in this passage of Scripture. He says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. That word lawlessness there means to walk outside the boundaries that God has clearly defined for us. In this reference, it's referring to the commandments that God has given us. To sin is to break the commandments of God. It means to fail to live up to God's moral standard for our life. None of us can live up to God's moral standard. If we could live up to God's moral standard in our life, we wouldn't need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Isn't that true? If it was just a matter of obeying God rightly to make ourselves right with God, why in the world would God send His Son, Jesus Christ, to hang and die on a cross? You see, for years, people have misunderstood the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to prick our conscience. It makes us aware of how great a sinner we truly are and it shows us a need for a Savior in our life. As long as we think we can save ourselves, Jesus can never save us. It is only as we are willing to bend our knee before Him and humbly acknowledge, Oh Lord, have mercy on me. I cannot make my life right with you. I utterly need you. As long as there's any ounce of pride in us, we cannot come to Jesus Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? 
John says everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. That is every one of us. Listen to what he says here. You know that he appeared, that's Jesus Christ appeared, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Hallelujah. Amen. Aren't you excited that he did that for us? No one who abides in him, here it is, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. I I read that verse of Scripture, and I'm just, I'm like, oh my goodness. Isn't that a lot to chew on? You know, we could spend a month of Sundays preaching this passage of Scripture and never really do justice to it. Isn't that so true? Let's go back and listen to what he says. Little children, let no one deceive you, to lie to you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Did you hear that? Is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Listen to what he says. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now listen to me very carefully here real quick. When Jesus Christ burst forth from that grave on the third day, at that moment in time, the enemy became a defeated foe. Satan is defeated. Jesus Christ, when he burst forth from that grave, defeated death hell, and the grave. We have no reason to fear death any longer if we are in Christ Jesus the Lord. That is the reason why John is going to say later on in this book, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are an overcomer, is what John is going to say. Hallelujah, right? Aren't we overcomers in Christ Jesus the Lord? Not in our own power, not in our own ability, but in Christ we have overcome the world. We have overcome power, death, sin, hell, and the grave. Amen. We could quit right there, couldn't we? We could. That is the truth of God's Word. Now let's go back and listen to what else he says here. Verse 9 No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. When I read these verses, I'm oftentimes left with more questions than I am answers. Because this is a very challenging passage of Scripture and we hear them going back and forth in this passage of Scripture. He who practices sin is not of God. If we're born of God and the seed of God abides in us, we are not children of the devil. But if we go on sinning, if we go on not practicing righteousness, we are children of the devil, we are not children of God. This morning in the time that we have together in the next few moments, I want to talk to you about the practice of a Christian. What are we to do concerning sin? 
I think John provides the answer to that question in this passage. The first two I don't want us to spend a long time on because I believe that they're very clear in this passage. It's the third one that I want us to focus most of the time that we have together. So let me make these two statements really quick. Let me share three things about sin regarding the believer. First, it is not possible for the Christian to continually practice sin without godly remorse. Let me say it again. Now listen carefully. It is not possible for the Christian to continually practice sin without godly remorse. On two different occasions in this passage of Scripture, John clearly said, the believer does not practice sin. In other words, their life will not, be compri- uh, will not be characterized by sin. It will not be the bent of their life. If you genuinely want to know if you are born again, the only question you need to ask yourself this morning is this, am I running toward sin or am I running toward Jesus Christ? And that will provide the answer to your question. On more than one occasion in the time that I have been in the ministry, I've had people ask me the question about sin in regard to the believer's life. And this is what I've always told them. I have told them the person I am most concerned about is not the believer who sins and shows godly sorrow for that sin, who's heartbroken over their sin, who has confessed and repented it. I am more concerned about the person who claims to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and then week in and week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, they continue to live in sin without any sense of godly remorse. There's no heartbrokenness in their life over their sin. That is the person that I am most concerned about in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand, when we truly know Christ, our hearts will be broken when we sin against Him. I don't know about you, but it breaks my heart when I fail my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If it doesn't break your heart this morning when you fail Jesus Christ, if it doesn't tear you up on the inside this morning, you really need to examine your salvation today to see if you are in the faith. John clearly says in this passage of Scripture, it is impossible for the Christian to continually practice sin without godly remorse. That is the truth of the matter. Number two, it is possible for the believer to occasionally fall into sin. Let me say it again so you'll hear it and be able to distinguish between the first and the second. It is possible for the believer to occasionally fall into sin, to stumble into sin. John makes that very clear in this passage of Scripture with two words that he chooses to use. The first word is the word practice. The word practice refers to the direction of a person's life. What is their bent? What has characterized their life over the long haul? The second word that he uses in this passage is that word keep, the word we talked about earlier. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this statement, and I don't want to go back and talk about that, but I think you would agree with me this morning when I make this statement. This passage, and in this book, it clearly teaches us this side of heaven, we will never obtain sinless perfection. Amen, right? 
I don't know about you, but that gives my hope. That gives my heart a lot of hope. I mean, think about what John writes in the first chapter. Flip back over there with me if you have your Bibles or your device. I forget about that sometimes. Listen to what he says in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Do you, know what, do you know what John's saying there? He's saying if you don't sin, if you say you don't sin, you are a liar. That's what he's saying. That's the truth of the matter. There will be times because of the old nature and the new nature that they war against one another, that the old nature wins out, and we will sin against God. But we need to understand something. When we sin against God, it's important for us to understand that doesn't mean we lose our salvation. We need to understand it is Jesus Christ that does the saving and it is Jesus who does the keeping. Our salvation is not based in who we are or what we do. Our salvation is based in Jesus Christ and who he is and his finished work at the cross. The great news is John tells us how we should handle sin in our life when we come up short as a believer. He says in verse, uh, verse 9, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is what he says. If we're willing to agree with God about our condition, the Bible says that God will cleanse us from our unrighteousness. So we need to understand it is possible for the believer to occasionally fall into sin. Now that brings us to number three. And this is the one I want you to hear. It is natural for the Christian to continually practice righteousness. It is natural for the Christian to continually practice righteousness. Listen to what he says in verse 7 and in verse 10. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness as he is righteous. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Now listen to what he says in verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. All right. I want you to look at me. We're going to do another little survey this morning, all right? How many of you are righteous? One, two, three, four. I think they were all from the first service. All right, here's the second question. How many of you are going to heaven when you die? Let me see a show of hands. We have a major problem. We have a major problem. Do you know what Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount? Chapter 5, verse 20. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will never, ever, ever enter into the kingdom of heaven. You better hope you're righteous. Working on it, I hear that. That's a good one. I'm working on it. I think the problem is, is our understanding of that word, righteousness. When we hear it, the first thing we think of is self-righteousness. 
That was the problem with the Pharisees. And that's the reason Jesus Christ makes this, uh, the statement that he does in the Sermon on the Mount. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus Christ was saying is you need another righteousness. Now the great news is this. God has provided the righteousness that we need in Christ Jesus. We have a good theological word for it. The word is called imputed. What God did when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he took the righteousness of Christ and he put it into our life, into our bank account, so that when we stand before God, God doesn't view us and everything that we've done wrong. He sees the righteousness of Christ in us and he accepts us based on who Jesus Christ is, not who we are. Do you see what I'm saying? That ought to excite us when we think about that. But I will tell you this, if you are here today and you're depending upon your own righteousness, I would hate to be in your situation. You will never get into heaven based upon your own righteousness. Have you ever noticed in Scripture, Jesus Christ had the most harsh word for the most religious people of his day and time. There was no one more religious than the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The problem is, is they had a self-righteousness. So how do we live righteously? Let me give you three resources as I close. The first resource that God has given us, He has given us a new nature. A new nature. Listen to verse 9 with me one more time. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Two times in that passage of Scripture, John says those who have been born of God don't practice sin. God's seed is in us. When we trusted Jesus Christ, we were given a new nature. The nature of God lives in us. Do not misunderstand me. I am not saying that we are God's. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the nature of God, the seed of God is in us. We have been given a new nature. As a result of being given a new nature, it brings us to the second resource we have. We have been given a new desire. We have been given a new desire. At one time, our desire before I came to know Christ was sin. We were running after it. However, once we came to know Christ, our desire should be for Christ. I like how the old country preacher said it. This is the way he said it. He says, Jesus changed our wanter. I used to want to sin, but I don't want to sin no more. Listen, I'll just flat tell you, if you want to sin as much as you sinned before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to look at your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're chasing hard after sin rather than chasing hard after Jesus Christ, you need to step back, you need to ask yourself the question, am I truly in the faith? Am I truly in the faith? Number three, we have been given a new power. When I say a new power, I'm referring to the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is not a power. He is the third person of the Trinity. But when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life, He gives us power to overcome sin in our life. We have died to the penalty of sin in our life. We have died to the power of sin in our life. And one day we will die to the presence of sin in our life. That is scriptural. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to make the right choice in life. 
as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to live righteously. And we have been given everything that is needed to live that way. True believers' lives will be characterized by righteousness. And the question we must all ask ourselves this morning is this, is that true of my life? If you have been born of God, it is evident. You should see the spiritual birthmarks in your life. And the spiritual birthmark is this. True believers don't practice sin. That's the truth of God's Word. It's not the bend of their life. It's not what characterizes them. They are not chasing hard after it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and the way it speaks to our hearts this morning. Lord, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive, to be directed by your Holy Spirit today, Lord. Father, if there are people here this morning among us who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are chasing hard after sin, I pray today would be the day they trust Him. Father, if there are people here who are in Christ and they've trusted Jesus Christ, but their life has gotten off course, I pray that they would redirect it. Lord, we pray that you would have your way in our heart and our lives this morning. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.